recognizing that God ultimately is the defender of his truth and that my responsibility is to communicate his truth. But at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit's conviction that changes people's hearts. We want to develop students who know who they are. We want to lead students to an awareness of their personal leadership strengths and weaknesses. Converge students are young women and men that do not stand alone. They're not afraid to engage the consistently changing landscape of culture, bring their values to bear upon public life and the professional world. In Converge, we invite our students to pursue wisdom. Brought to you by Converge, this is Beyond Qualified. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Qualified. My name is Sheldon, and today my co-host Chris and I are sitting down with two of my favorite people in the world. But before we jump in, I want to invite our listeners to send in any questions about today's topic or about leadership in general. We'll air your recordings of a minute or less and answer it on the next episode. To do so, go to anchor.fm slash beyondqualified slash message or click the link in the show notes of this episode. Again, that's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash beyondqualified slash message. We look forward to hearing from you. Now on today's episode, our guests Andrew Pivots and Caitlin Titus are discussing the value of dissenting worldviews, personal convictions, and navigating the tension of healthy dialogue as a leader. This all based on their incredible workshop, Embracing Debate. Andrew, why don't you go ahead and tell us who you are, what your passions are, and what excites you most about this topic? Yeah, I'm an RD over at the Hill. Man, I love sports. I love lately uh, finding some extra downtime because of, obviously, the situation uh, going on in the United States. So I love playing guitar and working out uh, lately has been a new thing. So, Caitlin? Yeah, I'm currently the resident director over Commons 2, the top four floors. I've been an RD for three years now. And for me personally, I'm really passionate about diversity and inclusion, the conversation about different cultures and who people are. I'm also passionate about psychology and offering that overseas, that service overseas. I hope to be a psychologist one day. And personally, I love to build Legos, I love to play video games, and I love to cook a good meal every mm-hmm. time. That's something that we definitely have benefited from as an Office of Residence Life family. So glad to have you both on the podcast with us. And of course, in student affairs, we love icebreaker questions. So I've got one for all of us. If you could instantly become an expert in something, what would it be? I immediately knew the answer to my question, and you likely could guess it based on my answer to Sheldon's previous question, but my dream would be to be a professional chef, and the hard part about being a chef is that it takes years of training and culinary school that I don't have time for, but I would love to go from the level of being a cook, to be able to cook something well, to be able to create something from random ingredients well, so... That would be my dream. And which cuisine? Mm. Well, I personally love Asian cuisine because it just seems to be that fusion of just random ingredients that don't seem to balance each other very well. I also really appreciate French culinary experience just because that's where it all began. And that's where all the top chefs that I respect, they were mostly French trained. So those two cuisines really catch my eye at first glance. For me, I would say, I wanted to say something very like, 
intellectual, but I'm just gonna be honest. I'm just gonna go for it and be honest. I wanna be an expert at the piano, but there's specifically one song on the piano that I it's one of my favorite songs. I wanna learn how to play um Ophelia by the Lumineers. And uh it's my quarantine bucket list. So that's what's on my heart right now. What about you, Andrew? I mean Chris I was like, what? <laughs> what? Um I was gonna say I was gonna yeah. say another one. No, uh, I think for me, I think the more practical one right now would be probably just software development, as that's my chosen career path right now. And I am continually feeling overwhelmed and drowning in it. And I think it would just be very helpful to feel like an expert right now. Um, but I also, I think probably the funner answer for me would be languages. So that's also, that's something yeah. that I've been in, intrigued in and kind mm -hmm. of a side hobby for probably the past eight years um and i would just love to be like a, a polyglot and just be speak a dozen different languages that would be awesome to me what about you sheldon yeah i was gonna say the same thing something like people centered mm, expert in people so if it's just an expert in people all things maybe social psychology in general oh yeah let's get into the thick of it i hope you guys are ready i'm about to grill y'all Nah, uh, I'm actually looking forward to this uh, conversation because when they announced the different workshops, <laughs> um, I actually looked at y'all and I was like, oh man, I kind of want that one. But then I saw mine and I was like, okay, I'm good. And I think mine, The Art of Disagreement, really does kind of <laughs> produce some sort of uh, synergism with y'all's um, embracing debate. And so I think the idea of embracing debate and debate in general kind of divides people, well, I guess as that is tend to do, but even divides people into the camps of like people who like love it and are like uh, thrilled by debate and people who are like terrified or hate debate mm. and who like hide away from it. And so as we approach mm. this kind of topic of embracing debate as something that is, we kind of holistically have to do as leaders, um, what would you say, and I, I'll direct this to you, Andrew, what would you say is kind of a good starting point for this mindset for us individually and personally? How do we prepare ourselves to think about embracing debate. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Man, I think it was cool how we began developing this workshop because me and Caitlin had different starting points. We were both studying different books, but we found throughout it there was a lot of overlap. And so to answer your question specifically, uh, what has been like the heartbeat for me and how it's been pers personal is uh, realizing um, that people who have opposing perspectives that I have, that they probably have come to these conclusions. Uh, they probably have very, uh, maybe by experiences or sufficient reasons as to why they have come to those conclusions. So I read a lot on How to Think by Alan Jacobs, and I really found myself coming in contact, rubbing shoulders with people who disagreed with me, and I had thought I knew how they came to those conclusions, and I was totally wrong. So this workshop has taught me, man, to be a better critical thinker and to not just assume. Um, I think even the idea of debate when we say that word we have like this attitude in our mind of this either this kind of like organized structural i'm going to enter into this structured organized conversation with you which you have your outline i have mine or this kind of vitriolic fight so caitlin like when we talk about embracing debate how would you articulate debate from maybe how the sides we can commonly hear it used 
I would first start off with the understanding of the difference between debate and argument. Um, right now in our culture, we've been seeing how argument is becoming synonymous with debate. However, in the terms of our content, Andrew and I realized that um, argument is where you enter the discussion um, trying to convince how you're right, where debate is the exchanging of ideas and principles with the focus of understanding the other perspective. And so, you know, when we're faced in our culture with these two realistic options, we either actively avoid difficult conversations because we're expecting that to lead to a debate that may be online or that may be in person, or we're ready to almost aggressively insert ourselves into debates and engage in discussions that really do turn into arguments. So we propose to recognize the true meaning of debate, debate and lean into that new middle ground. So one of the ideas you guys talk through with that is refutation mode. What What is that about? Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, as I was just sharing that, um, this is really personal for me. Um, and I'll just be a little bit more specific is when I got hired as an RD, I found myself rubbing shoulders with RDs uh, and I, and I thought that like we that, would yeah. agree on a lot of things. And I actually found we disagreed <laughs> on many topics and, uh, <laughs> Chris, honestly though, honestly though, me and you, I found that I was surprised by some of the perspectives uh, that you had and you probably were surprised by some that I had, but I, uh, yeah, I was realizing that once I came to those conclusions, Oh, there's the tendency for me to maybe dismiss people. But Alan Jacobs in How to Think, he he lays forth different ways in which we don't think critically. And refutation mode is one of them. And if you've ever watched a TED Talk, especially someone you disagree with, mm. may, maybe the there'll be an early sentence that triggers you. And now you've already decided in minute one, I disagree with this person and I understand their whole entire argument. And now you're watching the rest of their talk through the lens of how do I defeat this argument rather than through the lens of what can I learn from this? Or maybe, you know, maybe I need to sit, let my guard down and uh, really assess this for a little while longer. So Alan Jacobs gives an example of he gave a TED talk and, and someone came up and started criticizing his perspective. And the suggestion was, give it five minutes, you know, take a second, let it sink in everything that I said. Don't just allow the first uh, minute, uh, this, the statement that triggered you to uh, I think that's uh, work really the way you viewed everything that, really that I said. Uh, necessitates a high level of self-awareness in your own thinking processes, um, which is, I think, an unusual thing for us to be intentional about. I don't know, maybe that's just me being a little bit critical of culture, but um, I, th I think that that's a very important aspect of what you're uh, saying. I'd be curious, like, when we are tempted to go into refutation mode, when we're listening and we identify that thing that maybe we disagree with, um, why do you think the impulse is to shut off? Like, what do you imagine we're processing in that moment? I think that as we're interacting with culture, we're, we're always seeking comfort and we're most comfortable in our own opinions mm. that are familiar to us. And so when we're coming face to face with something that we disagree with, it automatically puts us in this disequilibrium where we're struggling to stabilize our viewpoint in contrast to this new viewpoint. So we either wow. 
seek to aggressively defend it is our impulse or to hide and neither one is God honoring. Uh, this concept um, is really the principle of maintaining intellectual humility. It's having the recognition of I put in this work or whatever work I have to know the content that I'm sharing, yet also recognizing that only God is all-knowing and knowledgeable of the content of this world, and we will never fully be 100% knowledgeable on information. Hmm. We see that principle in Proverbs 18, 17, where it says the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examine them. I really love the idea of intellectual humility. I think that's been a huge thing for me in my process of learning over the past, I don't know how many years. And so the idea of what you said of this learner's approach versus like a defender's approach. And I'm not, and I think a lot of times we get sensitive with that because we feel the need to defend, especially anything mildly related to anything spiritual we're like well i need to stand for my faith and mm. i think we make kind of a false equivocation there if that makes sense um and so i think we don't need to be so uh sensitive and protective over certain things when i think like that idea of humility calls us to be like a learner and to pursue truth even if it's uh, i think beyond initially what we thought it was um, yeah so, I actually have a quote that we didn't mention in any of our workshops. So for those tuning, yeah, tuning into the podcast, uh, it's actually <laughs> a quote I read today, but I think it so applies. Um, <clears throat> Christine Pohl, in talking about hospitality in Christian communities, uh, says that not every stranger we welcome will embrace that way of life or understand it in the same way discernment so discernment is also important as we struggle to de to determine which parts of our identity and commitments are central and which can or should be challenged and so i, I think that mm. totally relates to what you're saying and in, in uh you know we can all relate in in being in christian communities and feeling like we you know these are strong spiritual convictions we need to defend them but i also think one thing we talked about in our workshop was trying to defy, uh, divide between what are the essentials, the non-negotiables, but what are the things that, oh man, maybe we thought they were essentials, but uh, we would be better off to be refined and maybe they should be challenged. Mm -hmm. In your workshop, you give an example of that when you offer the perspective that Christians should support the mm -hmm. foster care system and helping students to evaluate the foundations. So can you tell us a little more in terms of identifying as Christians, what are the primary concerns we should have and then what are secondary issues? Yeah, for that us that we found is that as a culture, especially in the Christian community, we too often focus our attention on the wrong content, um, not meaning that it's the incorrect content, but we're focusing on a symptom of a principle rather than the root motivation. So an example being like the pro, uh, the idea of being pro-life in the Imago Day. And oftentimes people focus on things that do apply like the foster care system. And yet there are plenty of other things that are also pro-life principles that value the Imago Day and individual that we aren't as strongly uh, convicted about, so to speak. And so for us, we encourage the everyone to think about what are the values that I have and what is the biblical principle that is the foundation of that value. So we can remind ourselves to be consi one, consistent in our worldview and two, to be knowledgeable about the things that we're defending or that we're advocating for, that it's not just about one singular issue. 
disciples that God has convicted upon us in this lifetime that we've been called to live out and mm-hmm. uphold. I think in a very real sense, our, our students do need a lot of help kind of navigating the task of identifying what are those things that God has commanded, especially in a society where there are numerous perspectives, numerous starting points. And really, I think our, you know, especially for you, Caitlin, someone interested in, in culture and diversity, we, we often don't know what we don't know. We often don't know what our starting points are. And so how can we having a, a cultural, a social, a political, a spiritual location, what are some ways that we can sort of get beyond our starting points? Yeah, the biggest recommendation I can offer is to first understand who you are as an individual, to understand the stories that contribute to who you are, because that informs how you perceive the rest of the world. So one obstacle that we find in culture is a monocultural perspective, where, uh, for example, I can assume that the four of you, Andrew, uh, Chris, and Sheldon, all see the world exactly how I see it. And yet if I investigate the way I see the world, I begin to realize, oh, I see the world because I was born in Taiwan, because I grew up in China, Mongolia, Mm. because I only moved to the United States when I was 18 years old. Mm. Those things shape how I perceive the world. And Sheldon, Andrew, or Chris, you're not going to see it that same way. And then the next step is to say, okay, well, what do I not know? And having the humility to accept, I will never be able to know everything, but I can always each day one step closer to knowing more and having that commitment to identifying what I don't know and growing one step closer to knowing more each day. That's, that's so helpful because I don't even know if it was clear in the question that I was asking, but to recognize when it comes to our spiritual beliefs and convictions, there's a lot that we don't know and being committed to that process of, of discovering and maybe even leaning into perspectives of, di- of people who are culturally or politically situated different than ours even to, to grasp and understand those spiritual beliefs, you know, the possibilities that we might not have, we might not possess the truth in this given area when it even comes to a, an essential or, or a secondary position there. So that's really, really helpful. Yeah, I think that's so huge. I think having a baby, I, I can see when he can recognize things outside of himself, like it just kind of excites me like, oh, he's maturing. I think it's similar to us as, you know, grown people when we can recognize ideas outside of ourselves and cultures outside of ourselves that that is an example of of maturity and growth and development and i think sometimes it takes a little while for us to get there but i think that's a very important step and i have a another question i want to ask you guys Um, when we think about us as individuals modeling this uh, how can we model this attitude of embracing debate in a way that invites others that may not particularly be inclined to participate in a healthy manner? Now, I guess this kind of also necessitates us mm. to be humble, even because it's easy for us to think, well, I am doing this and this person's not. So to even evaluate how we're doing it, but how mm. can we engage in other people in a healthy way, even if they're not quite there yet with this? I like what you said, and that's why it, it took me a second to respond, uh, is because we do it all the time, too. So I, I think that's valuable. Just some practical things is breathe <laughs> when you're interacting with somebody. And oftentimes we're not prepared 
like you, like you said, Chris, is there's formal debate, but then there's the interpersonal debate that happens in our daily lives. And so breathe, I think maybe a lot of times people make uh, absolute statements that can maybe ratchet things up emotionally. So I think we can example this through just asking questions first and seeking to figure out how did they come to these conclusions, you know, be leaders in, in showing dignity and respect. And as we've said multiple times in this podcast, having intellectual humility, realizing we don't know everything. Um, but I was also thinking there might be some like statements we can use in our conversations that could be really helpful to, to coach someone else in this, in the sense of, let's say somebody has is start attacking started attacking an opinion that we have and we could ask something along the lines of hey why do you think that i came to this conclusion and see if they could see if they could articulate wow. that and then uh if they articulated it then that's great now you're on the same page but if not you could say um hey can i explain to you how i came to this conclusion it slows the conversation down a little bit mm. and it reinforces the idea that the other person could benefit perhaps from understanding some of maybe your your experiences past experiences or presuppositions yeah i like that it passes a little bit of ownership onto the other side like they have to take ownership into like saying like how is andrew thinking about this i i taking ownership of the other side i think is a very important and responsible thing to do. And it kind of subtly kind of tosses it over to them yeah. in a non-mean but inviting inviting way. Caitlin, do you have you any know, uh, thoughts? Yeah, three of the principles that have really stuck out to me, one that's guided my ability to embrace debate in a healthy way is recognizing that God ultimately is the defender of his truth and that my responsibility is to communicate his truth. But at the end of the day, is the Holy Spirit's conviction that changes people's hearts. So even on those crucial, mm -hmm. strong Christian convictions, at the end of the day, it's the Lord's guidance in their life that will change them in the direction he's calling them to go. And so that allows me to kind of slow down, breathe, practice mm -hmm. self-control and having that humility of God is in control. It's not all on me and the things that I say. One of the books that really inspired our workshop was I Beg to Differ by Tim Mulhoff, who's a professor at Biola University in communication. He talks about biblical communication. A lot of his work is grounded upon the principles found in Psalms and Proverbs. But he talks about this concept of reciprocity, the idea that when we give something initially, people will then give that back to us. So that takes a personal ownership for us to create that space of uh, communal and communication hospitality that even if they're not treating us very well in the beginning of that debate, so to speak, we want to remember that we're called to model Christ's example and to have a person-centered, recognizing yeah. the Imago Dei of the individual, rather than merely a position-centered approach to the conversation. You know, Proverbs 15, 23, it says, a man finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word. And that requires the maturity and the self-control to navigate when is the right time to share that word. That's some good stuff. Thank you guys so, so much for just kind of being a part of uh, this podcast. Thank you for, you know, uh, one, putting together this workshop. Um, I know we, both of you are heated debaters and arguers. 
<laughs> Especially you, Piv. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know if I've been called that ever in my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is I had some heated discussions. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet. Uh, this is this is fun. I I enjoyed uh, chatting with you guys about this. this. Is something I'm, I think I'm personally fairly passionate about. And I know our listeners appreciate your insights as well. Which brings us to the end of this segment. Here's a recap of today's episode with some practical takeaways that you can implement today. Debate is an endeavor not to be shied away from, but to be entered into. This is a necessary aspect of interacting in a healthy way with those that we might disagree with, which is we must understand it as a foundational aspect to leadership. We must not only understand what others think around us, but why they think and hold the things that they do. Because this is how we understand them as actual people and not just blanket representations of an idea or perspective. Caitlin brought up the difference between debate and argument. Argument is an attempt to prove that you're right, whereas debate is an exchange of ideas in pursuit of a collective or higher truth. This is an important distinction as we go about our daily interactions with others. This keeps us from becoming defensive and unnecessarily sensitive while allowing us to be continually learning. Um, for those of you that may shy away from controversial, difficult conversations, I want to challenge you to try to take a step out of your comfort zone and to work through a topic with someone you may disagree with about something. Also, watch any sort of academic or serious debate and view the way and manner in which they interact with each other and the topics they are talking about. Take notes on good points and uh, interactions. We also see a strong tendency to enter refutation mode. That is something we talked about. The idea that we hear something we disagree with, we start to dismantle it rather than fully hear it. This keeps us from a healthy pursuit of learning and intellectual humility. As Kaylin said, this goes against our natural tendency to seek comfort. We seek to hide from this or fight against it. We often respond in either pride or fear. And as Kaylin says, neither is God honoring. A further aspect that we discussed of intellectual humility is understanding who you are and how your own beliefs and values can be based on your experiences and culture. Try to take the time to read an article that you disagree with and reflect on some of the strong supports or arguments that it makes. Also, take the time to even write down maybe not just how you disagree with it, but the basis and origin of those thoughts, uh, how your experiences and circumstances and even culture may have fueled your thoughts and opinions. Sometimes this can be tricky to dig up. Try to find some potential weaknesses in your own thinking as well. Uh, also, Andrew brought up the need to analyze the things that we are holding as foundational and essential, and those things that perhaps may be more secondary. What are the limits of where we are willing to turn our ears from listening and engaging with our brothers and sisters? This next exercise is more cerebral, but no less practical. Take some time to really think about this. Consider any moments you have made harsh judgments or evaluations against someone due to a difference of perspective or opinion, or even got in an argument with someone. Analyze the positives and negatives of that reaction and whether it was worth it. And finally, Andrew left us with an insightful direction on how to begin this process of embracing debate with others who may not be as willing. First off, just breathe, calm down, and take a step back. This is an incredibly helpful way to not only refrain from getting worked up, but take the necessary time to collect your own thoughts and being able to listen to the person across from you.
And our final practical challenge comes from Piv. Whenever you are confronted with a seemingly abrasive viewpoint, ask three clarifying questions. This could be in person or on social media. You might be surprised at how much more pleasant an interaction with disagreeable opinions can be with just asking questions. Thank you so much for joining us today and being a part of Converge. Next week, we'll be discussing the art of disagreement, and we look forward to you joining us next week on Beyond Qualified.